welcome um, Melos Campbell, founder and CEO of Kimia and Kimia Reset. I'm really passionate about helping pharma field teams to feel confident about using technology to connect with healthcare professionals and is the human element of the digital transformation really enabling people to use the technology is what I'm really curious about. And to explore this, I've been inviting uh, and interviewing inspiring pharma leaders um, within the media agencies and pharmaceutical companies to join me uh, in digital transformation series and share their perspectives so I can learn from them and share their you know, top tips with our audience. What I find really um, heartwarming is most of the people I've invited and talked to are really uh, focused and care about the people behind the tools. And I'm so delighted to welcome Paul Tonner. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm good. Hi, Menas. Thanks very much for the invite. Appreciate it. No, I feel so honoured to have a media guru here. And I encourage our audience, wherever you are, to post your questions for Paul uh, so I can um, pick his brain and get uh, his perspective on various aspects of digital transformation. So let me tell you all about uh, Paul. I'm sure you all met Paul at some uh, time in your career, um, but maybe we only know some aspects of his um, experience in life. Um, I learned new things just by uh, asking him the question. And Paul is actually a doctor, is Dr. Paul Tonner. He's a chief content officer and managing director of Healthware International. Healthware International is a global company that provides transformational uh, advisory and technology services for commercial, medical, and R&D operations within the health uh, life science industry. Prior to this, um, Paul founded Pharma Forum in 2009, which we're all probably familiar with. And Pharma Forum provides broader content communications and marketing services um, to enable customer engagement. And he, he's been recognized as an author, speaker. Many of us seen him as a moderator at various European pharma events. And he's an industry advisor um, with a passion to help um, organization to tell authentic stories. And I think that's the bit that really inspired me about your passion, Paul, because your stories is around uh, resonating and helping companies to co-create co solutions to unlock the power of digital. Uh, and you use social media and digital to help connect the stakeholders with the realities and understanding the market. Uh, what you may not know, um, Paul is a brainiac, graduated from Oxford. He's got a master's of arts in biochemistry and he's got a doctorate of philosophy in biological sciences. Uh, and his work focused on identification of novel anti-cancer therapies. So he's a man of many, many talents. So Paul, I'm so curious to know more about you um, and maybe share a bit about your career path with uh, Pharma Forum, what inspired you to set up the company. And most of us um, know that the company went on to um, become a phenomenal success with seven figures so what's your secret sauce and what challenges did you face so tell us about that please yeah many many challenges thank you and yeah I mean a lot of people probably know me from my pharma forum background 
Uh, but just going back a little bit further, so yes, I was a scientist at one point in time. I kind of refer to myself as a bit of a failed scientist because I didn't stick with that career. But in the late 90s, I was doing my PhD, uh, which by the quirks of Oxford, they call it a doctor of philosophy rather than science or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of the science I always found really interesting. But I think it was at that point that my passion for communication really came to the fore because I found myself surrounded by incredibly brilliant people, much, much smarter than me. But some of them were terrible communicators and they were doing amazing science that they couldn't convey to the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. I kind of for me, I knew partway through my PhD that I probably wasn't going to be a scientist because you're so focused on one tiny piece and I was a little bit bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So my career took me into consulting. I was with Data Monitor. Uh, IMS, which was what IQVIA used to be called, doing consulting projects, kind of marketing and sales consulting projects for pharma companies. And then the reason why Pharma Forum came about was as it got to kind of the late 2000s, as you will recall, you know, social media was just springing up everywhere. You had things like Facebook coming through. Um, I think we're a little bit before Twitter at that stage, but it wasn't far off. But you had all these online forums and people starting to engage through these mechanisms. And I looked at the pharma industry and I thought pharma's a bit disconnected from this. And I looked at the publications for pharma and they were very insular. They were very, you know, industry talking to itself or service companies. And so I thought, why don't I do something, launch a new publication that embraces social media, but actually helps connect the industry with the other critical voices, the patient, the prescribers, the payers. So focus on the industry, but trying to join the dots. And that was where Pharma Forum came from. And why it's, despite the quirky spelling, why it's called Pharma Forum. I think that's fascinating. You found the sweet spot where you could connect the two together. I think you are very clever to, to spot that before it was trendy and you created a great organisation. What were the challenges you faced when you set up Pharma Forum to grow it to the size it became? Oh, so many challenges. Now, I, I think, I mean, it's true what people say, a lot of growing a business is just perseverance or perhaps as my wife would call it stubbornness and I think you need a lot of that Um, but I think back to when I started Pharma Forum I mean I had a passion I had an idea and something that I wanted to do I was passionate about communication about digital about social media but I think like a lot of first-time entrepreneurs I was a bit wet behind the ears with the kind of commercial side of it and the business side so you know I did have a business plan but I think as, as anybody who's gone through a first business will tell you doesn't always work out that way and I think there was an element of I'll do this I'll build it and the audience will come and it'll all be great and in reality it's much much harder you've got to really fight to get eyeballs and get people engaged and I think for me what I've learned over the journey of Pharma Forum is for sure you need that passion yourself that's absolutely critical because if you don't have that you're not going to enjoy what you're doing but as you grow a business you're probably going to need investment at some point And that's a whole different kettle of fish. And you are definitely going to need to surround yourself with the right people because you can't do it all yourself. And that's, you know, those are some of the sort of challenges and opportunities I've encountered. But we took a few twists and turns around going out there with a business plan that I then needed to adjust. I think the word is pivot that people use. And we had to do that on several occasions. The great advice really resonates with me. I think stubbornness and stickability is a... key success factor because a lot of people give up they expect results to come in and the results don't necessarily come on the timelines we think it will come and also surrounding yourself with the 
you know, group of people who can help you because we can't do it on, on your own. So I've experienced that. The third one I've not yet experienced in terms of investment, um, but I guess that's a really interesting one. Maybe I can come and ask you about it. So, oh, cool. yeah. Paul, what are you doing now? Um, you're in your current role as a managing director of um, Healthware Group. What's you focusing on now? So Healthware Group overall um, is quite a large company, about 300 people in Europe, and we're focused predominantly on what we'd call advisory and agency services within the life sciences space. So a lot of digital transformation advisory, but also a lot of what you'd call classic agency work. So brand marketing, medical communications, corporate communications. And then as part of that, also, we do a lot of work in digital health. So advising companies on how to structure and partner in digital health, building DTX in some cases. And then we have this media and community arm, which is looking at publications and events. Now, all of that existed before I became part of Healthware Group. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'd known Healthware Group and Roberto Ashoni, the founder, probably for about six, seven years. It was probably 2012 we first got to know each other before Pharma Forum became part of that. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I found somebody in Roberto and Healthware Group that was just as passionate about digital, about communications, about doing the right things for the patient. So we started to partner together and then it reached a very natural point where I saw a real synergy between what we were doing. I was thinking about how can I accelerate the scaling of Pharma Forum and do more of what I love on a bigger scale. And so the acquisition by Healthware Group seemed a very logical thing on all sides. Neither of us knew at the time, because bearing in mind the acquisition was June 2020, that the pandemic was around the corner and plans were well underway by that point. But I think in hindsight, becoming part of something bigger that can have a bigger impact, but also offers a little bit more protection for all the people within that organisation when you go through things like COVID was super, super, you know, the timing was super good. So my role within all of that really is more on the advisory and agency side. There's a fantastic team with Pharma Forum now running that publication, but I spend more of my time advising our life science clients on their strategies and supporting mm -hmm. that advisory and agency work. That's brilliant. And I think it was a perfect storm because with COVID, you know, online presence and digital communication was the you know norm. So you were ahead of that curve Absolutely. and the partnership was perfect yeah. storm for you. I'm yeah. so happy. Yeah, and so, you need you need a bit of luck as well. I say a bit of luck. You need a lot of luck often in business as well. And I think with the timing of that, we were very lucky. Yeah. Well, you've got to turn up. When you turn up, then you can spot the opportunities and luck. If you don't turn up, then they won't turn on your doorstep either. Yeah. So, Paul, um, when it comes to digital transformation, or should I call it enlightenment, how can pharma companies do better? Yeah, it's a great question. And I mean, I've been sort of working in and monitoring this space really since the inception of digital. Um, and I'm always an optimist. So, I mean, the first thing I'd say is I think pharma companies are doing pretty well. Of course, they're not one single group. Different companies are at different stages. Yeah. But there's a lot of people working within pharma companies and increasingly at senior levels because you've got digital natives coming through that really get digital. Um, but I think the more I've kind of done this and the more projects I've taken part in and seen, for me, the more I realize it really comes down to the change management and how you can break down old process and processes and old silos, which I know is something that you're passionate about. There's so much good technology out there, so much good technology, and we're getting to a point where you can start to link the data and the insights together, but still these projects take a while to get going. And for me, the reason why 
is you're trying to change the way people work within companies and people that are operating in quite disparate silos. So a lot of the projects that we do now, my focus and my advice is always on how do you drive that change? How do you do the internal communication? How do you link systems together? How do you incentivize people to embrace that change? Yeah, I think that's so important because often companies rush forward and invest in technology and they leave the people behind and people are left with these tools that they probably didn't buy into the concept. So you need yeah. to take people along that journey. And I was actually listening to uh, the Digital Native uh, interview you did with Florent um, uh, last night. And I really liked the conversation you were having around the sales force and what's the future of the sales force. So I'm curious to ask you because you were interviewing them. Now I'm going to ask you. Would you see the future of the sales force in this new way of communication? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. As you say, we touched on that in the webinar and, and kudos to Floron. You know, he's he's one of the folks in the industry that really gets this and gets the whole change process. But I think one of the things we have to remind ourselves is that these kind of terms don't mean much outside of the pharma companies. Yeah. So what I mean by that is if, if you're a doctor or a payer or any of those external customers, they don't see necessarily sales reps versus MSLs or different silos within companies. They just see people representing these companies. So for me, the question about the future of the sales rep is slightly broader. And I think we're starting to move towards a space where you have, and the term has been used a lot, these kind of orchestrator field forces that perhaps are bridging both the above brand and the brand discussions that need to take place. Now, I know there's a whole host of compliance issues around that before the red alarm bells start ringing. But you think about it from a customer perspective, they want to get the right information that they need at the time that they need it, rather like we all engage with, with online channels ourselves. Mm -hmm. I still think you need a human being to facilitate that in the same way we all engage with customer service folks, but they become the ones that facilitate bringing that right information. And that could be above brand, it could be brand. So. It's a long way of saying that I still see a future for the human people within these organizations. They may not be called sales reps, they may be called something else. And I think their role will be to bring that right information to the customer when they need it. I think they'll still see customers. We still need some mm -hmm. human contact, but yeah. it'll also facilitate those virtual interactions. Yeah, I think Florin calls them the field teams. And that could be MSLs, it could be sales professionals. But I think I agree with you. We need a human element because I contact with healthcare professionals, payers on a regular basis. They are having complexity of their own. They are bombarded with information. And sometimes they really value input from a trusted advisor who can actually help them to navigate their way through the organizational silos within the healthcare system and bring people together so they can make decisions and change um, patient pathways and do service redesign in a way that I can actually better serve their population. And yeah. bots can't do that. Computers yeah. can't do that. AI can't do that. You need a human being to be able to, in the same way with the pharma forum, you saw the opportunity with social media and pharma communication, and you thought, how can I merge this together? A skilled sales professionals or a field professional can see the dots and help them join them together. And I think yeah. that helps us to evolve from being a sales professional, delivering our three marketing messages 
to actually be able to be a trusted advisor that they actually want to engage us because we help them develop better solutions. I and think skilled is absolutely the right word. Yeah, mm. skilled is absolutely the right word for that because the technology has a place and it has value. AI has a value, but I believe in the adage of a you know a good person using AI is going to be better than that person alone or the AI. Mm -hmm. And often the challenge I see is there's not been sufficient training or upskilling of the field forces in how to use that technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. We've got some amazing comments here. Thanks, Rob. Rob uh, Costas says he's looking forward to us. It's good to have you here. <laughs> Jane says, Jane is, says that is a great point in investing tools, but not uh, on buying and training. So um, having the tools without the training is a waste of time, according to Jane. And I tend to agree with that. What do you think about that point, Paul? Yeah, I think, again, you've got to make sure people know how to use these things and that you're connecting the systems together. So it's not just, you know, how to use them and the training. I still see companies where they have these wonderful CRM systems, but the data can't be shared with the field force. So it's mm -hmm. very siloed between marketing and commercial. Again, I know from a compliance perspective, there are reasons why you have to have some separation there. But ultimately, you can only deliver what the customer wants if you understand the customer, which means joining the dots and mm -hmm. the people are skilled enough to then deliver against that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks, uh, Gurav, for your comments as well. Um, yeah, the, the way we see it, I guess um, you should share that perspective with me as well, Paul, that we see the field teams as representation of the company, irrespective of their role. It's just exactly. being the human connecting them. Um, Paul, you really experience in social media. Uh, when it comes to pharma, there seems to be a bit of a, like a scared, like they're all scared of social media. How do you think pharma could actually utilize social media for communication? Yeah, and a lot of the early work I was doing at Pharma Forum was around social media. And I think back, I mean, Probably 10 years ago, I was moderating tweet chats with some of our pharma clients with very, very nervous looking compliance folks sat in the room. But I think pharma's come a long way with social mm -hmm. media. I do see more companies engaging. Now, we have to acknowledge it's not without its challenges. It's a regulated industry. Pharma companies can't talk about prescription drugs through yeah. open channels like social media. They've got to be careful what they say. So it's not a channel that naturally endears itself to that regulated environment and the, and the speed of response which it requires. Having said that, I think companies recognize the value of social media, which in many cases is access to all the healthcare professionals are out there using social media, whether it's patients or doctors, what they're sharing about these disease areas. So it can give enormous insight around what's going on in the real world but it's also a good channel for sharing information, you know, disease awareness, those kind of things, and connecting with the influencers. So you know, we're seeing more and more leading physicians or KOLs who are very, very active on social media. And then we see other doctors who follow them and use them as their primary source of collecting information and distilling what's interesting. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's really key because they're not restricted by code of practice. If they feel passionate about something, they shout about it on social media, Twitter, uh, yep. post about it on their organic network. Um, but I think social media is quite a um, fascinating field because I guess sometimes pharma takes so long to get things approved before they post it. Sometimes you can miss the boat with the topic being important. And yeah. 
Go on, so you were going to say something. No, I, and, and, you know, I'm seeing the industry in general get more nimble around doing that. And, and we've done some of that work historically. If you have the right dialogue with the compliance folks, you can be more nimble. There is still a challenge that remains, though, as we all know, that because they can't talk about prescription drugs on social media, you often end up with a very one-sided debate. There can be lots of misinformation out there about mm -hmm. drugs. And let's bear in mind that misinformation about drugs can be just as dangerous as not knowing the real side effects and those kind of things. So I'd love to see more focus from the social media channels around regulating information online and, and mm -hmm. flagging what is the correct medical information and what's not correct. Yeah. COVID is a perfect example of that. You know, it, the more misinformation is flying around, it can become very dangerous. I know, I saw a lot of it in the US and that was not really helpful when the government and the leaders were misinforming people as well. So I'm just going to bring a quirky subject here. You know, social media can be a bit, um, the response posts on social media could be quite interesting and I guess that tells us that we're all human. Um, the post that you had most engagement with in the last six months was your Christmas jumper. I remember seeing that. What does that tell? What does that tell us about our industry? Possibly says that everything else I do in my sort of sphere of work is really boring. So Christmas jumper <laughs> is the most interesting. But I, I hope that's not the case. I think what it what it genuinely says is that what people are looking for on social media is the same as we're looking for in the real world is some kind of real interaction with people, mm -hmm. and we all see a lot of stuff on social media which is kind of putting the shine on things. I mean, Facebook is a good example. You look at all your friends and they're all living amazing lives. You look at LinkedIn, everyone's doing fantastic careers. And sometimes we like to see a bit of reality behind that. So me wearing a stupid Christmas jumper is, this is me just having a bit of fun. This is the real me, not spouting on about work. And I think people really connect with that. Yeah, I think as you talk about authenticity in your storytelling, I think if you're authentic, you come across authentic. You can't really fake it. You've got to be yourself. And I think people are looking for humans to connect with, not with robots. So I think that that post really resonated. And I think it was the timing was perfect because we were all winding down towards Christmas and, you know, people were dusting their Christmas jumpers and putting them on. So, yeah, we've got a few comments here. Um, Rob Costa completely agrees. Uh, thanks for sharing your perspective. And that says... Um, we, the, the, the role of the field teams need to evolve to being a trusted partner, focus on bringing values, uh, not just selling our stuff, thinking about their agenda. Alan made a comment saying, uh, we're finally seeing true team-based account management starting to take place yeah. as opposed to simply debating of, uh, re-debating of the sales rep. Thank you for your input. Uh, Alan, I'm just trying to quickly read comments while I'm chatting to you. So yeah, and I, and I, I agree well. with that. We we are starting to see more cross-functional ways of working, which takes time. It's a real shift, but I'm seeing more companies focus on that. So completely mm -hmm. agree. Yeah. So um, let me ask you another question. Um, we, we, I'm really curious to know what's your definition of omnichannel experience? So again, it's one of those terms that if you said to a, a doctor, what's your omnichannel experience, they'd probably look at you like you've gone nuts because it doesn't make any sense to them at all. So I think, I mean, if you talk to somebody in the industry, when they talk about omnichannel experience, they'd probably relate it to customer experience and customer journeys, which is a way of saying, how do you join the dots between the different interactions? 
Mm-hmm. So you're telling a cohesive story and you're constantly nudging people along, which is, you know, all makes a lot of sense. I think my challenge with the terminology that we use, and omnichannel experience is a good example of this, is that a lot of our language is about the channels. It's not about the story. And my worry is that sometimes as an industry, because of all this focus on the channels and we've got 20 or 30 different technology channels, we're losing the art of telling a story. And you go back 30 or 40 years, you know, veterans of brand marketing will say that when you just had a sales rep, email and a meeting, you'd spend a lot of time thinking about the detail aid and the story, making sure you got that exactly right. Whereas now we almost focus on the channels first and the content second. So one of my sort of hot topics you might expect with one of my titles being chief content officer is how do we go back to thinking about what is the behavior you're trying to, or the behavior change you're trying to make when you're engaging? What is the message and the story that you need behind that? And how can you break that down into bite-sized chunks? And how can you then tell that cohesively across a number of different touch points, different channels that will drive that behavior change? And of course, as part of that, recognizing that your customers are not a single group, there are different stages on that journey. That for me is what the omnichannel experience should be, is about how you tell that story in bite-sized chunks and start Mm -hmm. to change behavior. I love that. And I think if you know the story, you can pick up from any point in the story. I mean, I've observed a lot of key account managers and the successful key account managers who won awards in the UK, when I talk to them, they say, we know our sales aid, we know our material, but we have a conversation to find out what's the need or interest of the healthcare professionals. So we pick up the part of the story that they're interested to know. And I think to be able to do the communication effectively and tell the story, you need to know the story, but you also need to be comfortable with the channels. So in the same way people were comfortable to walk into a room, uh, carry themselves with confidence, um, field teams need to be able to be comfortable using various channels as if they're extension of their arms. As, exactly. as good as uh, they were with the field. So they can recreate the same chemistry because if you feel on the back foot, you get on a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting uh, and you're nervous, it is going to show. In fact, I was talking to one of the global leaders last week. He said they had a senior leader join the company and he came on this Zoom call telling them that they need to improve the digital communication. And everybody was saying, who's this guy? He didn't even introduce himself. <laughs> he didn't even say who he was and what he was trying to do. He just went, spill, spill. And I think if you are nervous, you get on a call and start talking about your product before even saying, hello, how are you doing? How are your days been? Uh, yeah, and we do things we, we do things to that point on digital channels that we'd never do if you're in the room with somebody. And social media is a, a good example of that. But mm-hmm. it is about connecting. And I'm keeping an eye on the comments. Somebody said a shared story across the business. I completely agree with that because it's not just how do you tell that story within marketing. Mm-hmm. Really, that story or element of that story need to be consistent, whether it's corporate communications, medical, right down to the brand level. So you're telling a very consistent story. And again, I know that's not easy to do, mm-hmm. but I think it is really important. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is the point Pauline uh, Millard made, thank you, Pauline, for sharing that, that Alan McIntosh 100% agrees with her, is around that's, you know, the capability that cross-functional working and storytelling is exactly. not just for the field, it's across the whole organisation. 
yeah, definitely. Do you think we are good at telling stories? I think it's a very company by company thing, actually. Some companies really are, but I think it requires requires a lot of investment of time at the start of the brand journey. I mean, normally when companies are thinking about launching brands, you have to invest sufficient time there. And actually even further beyond that, you know, you look at kind of phase two trials where you're starting to think about how you position brands. You've got to really question yourself and do the right analysis around have you got the positioning right? Do the messages really resonate? Do they connect with what's going on in the market? Or are you, and this is a big risk in big companies, are you drinking your own Kool-Aid, often fueled by your agency? And it's like, great, positioning's fantastic. It's all good. Does it stand that stress test? So the more of that you do at the start, then the Mm -hmm. easier everything's going to be downstream. Yeah, I can hear your lovely cats in the background. I think they're woken up. up, (laughs) Two of them, one of them woken up. You told me the sisters are 16 years old and they sleep 20 hours a day and this is their wake-up hours. Um, Paul, I was going to ask you, I'm conscious of time, I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions. Um, You know, often to improve an area, um, say digital communication, there's one or two things companies can do that has the biggest impact overall. Uh, if somebody was going to pick your brain as an advisor, what would you say is the one thing companies should really consider doing to improve that um, connection uh, between the field teams and the healthcare professionals? Just listen, I would say. Uh, Listen internally and externally. So I think there's more dialogue around listening externally, listening to the customers, co-creation with the customers, all those kind of things that is just as important internally mm-hmm. so we spend a lot of time or more time i should say thinking about that kind of engagement process that change management process with our customers you need to apply that internally as well because you know sales reps field teams whoever it is if something is just thrust upon them they've got no warning of they've not been engaged on it's going to be pretty hard to get them to do that mm-hmm. and i like your recommendation about uh, listening internally because i often find the nuggets of information and insight about customers is within the organization, but people are not listening to the feedback. They'd probably rather go to a consultant to come and tell them that, but there's a lot of insight within the organization. Um, sure. uh, Paul, you establish a very successful organization, Pharma Forum, that led on to become bigger and much more um, comprehensive. I'm sure a lot of our listeners here and um, people on this call are entrepreneurs having their own respective businesses and they want to co-create, recreate what you did to grow their businesses and to be the successful businesses that you had, yours had become. What would be your top tip to um, those listeners who are looking to grow their respective businesses or even have their own entrepreneurial business? Yeah, so I'd, I'd probably share two actually, and one I'll admit is slightly stolen from a friend of mine who summed it up much better than me. So a chap called Frederick de Bong who started My Sugar, mm-hmm. that was bought by Roche, and I did an interview like this with with him, and I said, you know, what's your top bit of advice? And he he said very eloquently, he said, learn what you suck at, learn what you're really bad at doing, get other people in to do that because no one's good at everything. And I really love the way he describes that and that piece of advice. And I think back. I think you go in as an entrepreneur starting something and you feel like you have to be good at everything and no one is you know recognize your own faults as you build the team get the people in to, to plug those gaps but the other piece i would say is again if you go back to the starting point 
don't just speak to your friends and say, look, I've got this business. Do you think I can succeed? Because they're going to go, yes, it's going to be awesome. You'll be amazing. Speak to people and say, can you rip my business plan to pieces? Tell me where you think it's going to go wrong. Tell me what's not going to work. Because you really want that advice at that point rather than two or three years down the line. And sometimes you need to ignore it. Sometimes you yeah. need to be confident and go, well, that's fine, but I think I can find a way through that. But it's really good to have that kind of stress testing early on. Brilliant. Thank you so much for those amazing words of advice. You said some really top tips. Have grit and be stubborn. Keep at it. Um, surround yourself with a group of advisors and people who can do the things you don't like. <laughs> so together you can address everything. And also your third tip was, um, you've got to repeat it again, it skipped my mind again. Yeah, yeah, people to pull your plan apart and criticise. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really sound. I actually was uh, reading a book recently and they were saying that it's like um, to be a successful entrepreneur, present your um, plan and like you said, to people who actually don't like it because then they can point out the things that you need to address to make it much more appealing to the way that we're doing. So brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And just know that not everything you do will work. I mean, that's part mm -hmm. of doing things that no one else is doing. That's okay. Just learn from it and move on. Yeah, that so resonates with me because sometimes I find we do something and it's not successful. We don't get the results that we anticipated they would give us. But along that journey, we learn other things that exactly. lead us to something much bigger and much better. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here, Paul. I can talk to you forever, but I'm just conscious of the time we have on LinkedIn. So I just wanted to say, is there anything else you want to say to our audience before I wrap up the LinkedIn Live session? No, just to say thank you so much for listening. I see loads of great comments and questions come in and some familiar names. Thank you all for those. And, and thank you to you. Really appreciate the chance to have this discussion. No, it's been brilliant. I just want to say thank you, Paul. It's been a real pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing you again in May in Dubrovnik. And I just wanted to wrap up to say thank you to those who are in live and your comments and questions. And I just wanted to wrap up to say that I'm really excited that we were able to develop Kimia Reset, a um, self-directed learning platform that focuses on the human element of digital transformation. And with that, we are able to support field teams to increase their confidence to use technology and increase the quality and quantity of the HCP engagements was as much as five folds. Um, we won several European and UK awards in 21 and 22. And I think now I'm working on new stuff. I'm actually collaborating with another um, entrepreneur in Scotland. We're developing a new uh, tool for pharma leaders. And I'm actually in the process of writing a book around, you know, helping bring that, um, enabling field teams to be able to have that better connections with the healthcare professionals. And I'm delighted, Paul, that you're inputting in that book and I've got collaboration Hi. from some other amazing leaders as well. My pleasure, thank you. And uh, I guess I'm just gonna wrap it up by saying that if you're looking for solutions to help your field teams or your organization to gain confidence or embrace digital tools or online content, get in touch with me, get in touch with Paul, we love to help you. And if we can't help you, we point you in a direction of someone who can. It's been lovely to have you here. And as um, goodbye from Paul and I. See you, you soon.